0: I think what you're seeing out of Devin Booker is what's always been uh, a part of his game. Uh, he hasn't become a legit superstar. He is a legit superstar. I love to see people publicly recruiting other players, especially executives, to see the competitive side of them. I think Sixers fans truly enjoyed seeing Daryl Murray behave like a fan behave in a manner in which he's happy to see not only the success of his player, but loving the fact that the brother who's arguably the the best player on the planet is seeing the success of his brother and would love for him to be in a sixer uniform i don't take offense to people mentioning me in trades or people saying that you know i need to be traded or i should be this or i should be that or my worth is xyz because i signed up for this life i signed up to play sports i'm thankful for it i prayed for the opportunity to be in this position to the 114th episode of Pull Up. That's right, 114 episodes. It's currently Wednesday, June 9th, 2021. And on this date, June 9th, 1985, the Lakers would beat the Celtics in Game 6 to win the NBA Finals. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was unanimously voted Finals MVP at 38, the oldest player ever to win the award. I have a feeling that at some point, LeBron may be in a position at past 38 to potentially win. MVP as well as finals MVP. So stay tuned in the NBA to see what happens next. But as we move on to discuss the ending of our season, I just want to briefly talk about what happened in game five and game six. Obviously, for those who have watched, we end up losing to the Denver Nuggets 4-2. to Game five was epic. Um, It ended up being a two-overtime game in which Damian Lillard scored 55 points, had six rebounds and 10 assists. He went 70% from the field on 17 to 24 shooting, hit 12 threes. It was essentially a perfect game. Um, in, in overtime, and in the other overtimes, he basically scored all the points um, for our team. And we ended up blowing what I, what I call one of the greatest playoff performances I've ever seen. And that was a tough, tough game for all of us. Um, obviously, I didn't shoot well. I ended up having you know, three turnovers, a costly turnover where I stepped out of bounds. Um, I think on a possession where we we're down three with about nine seconds left. So that, that kind of hurt us. And I think that that game kind of changed the series. That was a game we, we probably should have won. That's a game we should have lost for sure. And then Dane played so well down the stretch. He hit so many big shots. It was a game that we probably should have won. And that that kind of took the air out of us. But, you know, give Denver credit. Um, they battled. They answered the call on, on every big shot um, that we hit or that he seemed to make. And we ended up dropping a tough uh, game six where we were up, I think, 14 in the third quarter, 15 in the third quarter at home. Ended up only scoring 14 or 15 points in the fourth quarter of that game. And they ended up closing the series out. But to just go into detail a little bit as to to what happened, I think that that series in itself, you know, showed. Uh, For one, we are NBA players, so regardless of who's not playing uh, in the game, you still have to compete. You still have to be locked in. Um, Austin Rivers played extremely well in that series. He hit some big shots. Obviously, their MVP, the Joker, was fantastic throughout the series. He basically was 50, 40, 90 the entire series. I think he broke a record uh, for consecutive games of, of 50, 40, 90 while averaging over 30. I think he was averaging 32 or 33. Porter Jr. was extremely efficient. Six ten guy who can raise up and shoot the ball. You know, as good as I've seen from just about anyone. I think he had twenty, twenty two points in the first quarter. Morris came off the bench and hit some big shots. Shot fifty percent from the field and dished out nine assists. I think the bench minutes were huge for them throughout the series. I think overall uh, we were winning uh, the minutes between the starters. Nurk was doing a great job of, of helping us win the minutes between the starters. But some foul trouble uh, definitely was costly. Definitely hurt us. And when when he's not on the the court it's clear we're a different type of team I think he ended up picking up four fouls in the third quarter I missed some shots in the fourth quarter that I should have made some floaters some close-in shots and I think that was the difference in the game overall for us and that ended up costing us the series but I think Denver played extremely well missing Jamal Murray missing Will Barton Missing P.J. Dozier, Mike Malone did a great job of kind of rallying the troops. Even in their game against the Suns in game one, they played extremely well. Their bench uh, played well, and then the Suns went on a crazy run in which CP kind of took over down the stretch. But it'll be interesting to see how that series plays out. Obviously, if you're following our team, you know what happened next. Coach Stotts uh, ends up parting ways with the team. Uh, we end up losing our staff, uh, a staff in which I played with for my entire um, NBA career. So that's a, a tough situation for all parties involved because of the relationships that you have and make uh, with not only the coaching staff, but their families. They all have kids for the most part. Uh, I know Coach Kostad's wife well. I end up meeting his mother uh, during this, this postseason run. Nate Tibbetts, I've known him for a long time. Uh, he has two uh, beautiful little girls, two twins. Uh, I've seen them wear my jersey to game. So you, you have that relationship to where you've gone out to eat with some of the staff members. You've had dinner with them. You've you've exchanged wine with them, especially me as a guy who drinks wine. I've given wine to everybody on this team, especially everybody on this staff. Uh, You got Coach Osborne, Dale. uh, I call him OG. He calls me young OG. He's just got an old soul from the South, Uh, a guy I've had plenty of dinners with and and plenty of conversations with on ways to not only improve as a basketball player, but also ways to improve as a man. Uh, He has uh, two boys and a girl. I've I've given them pointers on, you know, how to work on their jump shot, how to get quicker jump roping. So there's just that human element that a lot of people are unaware of that kind of affects you because then you start to think about their family. You start to think about what's next for them. I got a great relationship with Jim Moran. Um, he has uh, a few kids. I think he's got three kids, uh, his wife as well. They're just everybody's just great and nice and made the working environment so pleasant. Pargo is new to our staff. He was a really great dude from Chicago. Funny. Uh, Can still play in the NBA to this day. Uh, Works out every day. Plays once with the players. You know, was a a part of our scout team for most of the season, but also on staff. Uh, Juice Man was Coach Todd's roommate in college. uh, Coach John McCullough. He's on our staff. A great guy. Can still shoot. And it's just crazy how everything could be great one moment. The next moment, you know. Change can, can be on the horizon, and I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about my guy John Yim. We came in together, and I've been working out together since my since my rookie year, getting shots up on off days. He runs my uh, pregame workouts now that DV is not here, so uh, we we spent a lot of time, a lot of dinners, a lot of lunches together, a lot of conversations about how to improve, how to get better, and then have actually gone and done the work. So it's just crazy to see that. You know they're no longer going to be here and then also interesting to see you know what kind of happens next in terms of staff we're going to bring in and and how we kind of go forward but I think there's always high points and low points in a basketball season and I think far too often um it's a what have you done for me lately type of situation and type of league to where you kind of forget about some of the high moments and great moments so I'll start with the low moments because obviously um, that's what's fresh with losing to a team you feel like you should have beat. Losing to a team that's shorthanded and, and missing players, starting caliber players, all-star caliber players. Um, that's definitely a low point in the season. Me getting injured, um, I think 13 games into the season, was was definitely a low point. I was playing the best basketball in my career and then having to go through rehab during COVID where gym access is, is scarce. You're kind of worried about you know being exposed. Uh, Worried about your family being exposed to NERC being injured to seeing you know our team struggle to seeing players get traded at the deadline to then figuring things out and starting to win to becoming you know a solid starting unit a start a solid starting team where we end up finishing I think second over on offense our defense improves once NERC comes back we had some great moments to picking up some great wins I think that that trip we went on where we beat Boston, I think we go five and one on the six-game road trip. That was a, a great road trip, uh, where we got a lot of things done, and kind of showed that we can be a a very solid team. To having dinners together on the road, to you know going to Coach Terry's room and, and drinking with him in, in in Sacramento, and dropping wine off for guys. I think it was just a a unique season in which. It was probably the most difficult season I've gone through. And I've talked to a lot of players. I've talked to a lot of coaches, a lot of people in front office. And I I think from a mental, emotional, spiritual, physical standpoint, this last year and a half, two years has been the hardest sports has probably ever been for a lot of people because of the stress, because of the testing, because of the uncertainty of your family's safety. I didn't really talk about it much, but there's been times where players have been false positives or invalids. I've had them to where you're not sure if you're going to be able to play. You're not sure if you've been exposed. You're not sure if your family is safe to waiting literally before the game, before you go work out to try to figure out whether or not you're going to be able to play to like sitting there, like calling your family. Like I, I got an invalid, like, I don't know if it's positive or not, but I just wanted to let you know, like those uncertainties that kind of happen, not only to myself and our team, but like every team has literally gone through that. I'm sure at some point this season and, in it doesn't really get talked about. It's not really discussed, but I think it just takes a toll on you. So I'm, I'm thankful to have made it through another season Thankful for our team and staff and our organization and, and all the people that work within our organization were able to uh, be compensated and and make it through a season. But it was it was definitely tough. I think going forward, um, obviously, you know, depending on who we hire, that'll kind of decide. You know how we go forward, how we move forward. Uh, what type of upgrades we'll make with our team is obviously on Neil, uh, on our front office and our organization in terms of figuring out ways to make us a, a championship contender. They have a, a tough job, and we have a tough job as players to just go play and give input when it's asked or needed. And I think the great thing about sports is that you have an off season to kind of sit back to reflect to figure out ways to improve but also to disconnect and I think it's all it's all necessary uh, especially considering the year we went through and I get asked about this this question all the time like how do you deal with being in trade rumors like what are your thoughts on it I take it all in stride I, I I think I tweeted about this the other day someone was saying like no offense CJ and I was like honestly I don't take offense to to people mentioning me in trades or people saying that you know I need to be traded or I should be this or I should be that or my worth is XYZ because I signed up for this life. I signed up to play sports. I'm thankful for it. I've prayed for, for the opportunity to be in this position since I was a child and I, I dedicate my life. I dedicate my my time and my soul to this. So I'm not offended when people are under the opinion or impression that I should be moved or I should be traded because, as I said, I come from a small city in Canton, Ohio to where kids would love to be in my position men would love to be in my position where they get to play a, a sport for a living. They get to take care of their family, take care of their community, give back and inspire people. So I take it all in stride and understand that people have a right to their own opinion. And some people may be under the opinion that I should be moving, that I should be traded. And I think it's a sign that for one, you've done things the right way that you do have some value and people do have an interest in you. But for two, um, We did lose. Uh, We went through a tough season. So some people in their minds feel like we need change. And there are a lot of ways in which we can create change with our roster besides potentially trading me. So I understand people's opinion of that and their take on that. And I'm not affected by it. I'm not bothered by it. I'm not moved by it. I will continue to work on my game, continue to to do what I can to help our team and do what I can to help elevate my play to where I can continue to rise uh, to new levels and new heights. And in terms of speculation, about myself and Dame, me and Dame talk every day or every other day. I have a, a good understanding of how he is as a person, what he's done you know, for our community, what he's done on the basketball court obviously speaks for itself. I think he's going to do what's best for himself and his family. Uh, I think he wants to be in Portland, obviously. He said that he's going on the record saying that he wants to be here and, and wants to continue to figure out ways to, to move towards a championship, but I can't speak for him. I think he is upset with the the way the season ended, just as I am, just as the rest of the organization is, just as the rest of the fan base is. And I think that's all I can kind of say to that point. But I think from a timing standpoint, it's tough. The season just ended, I don't know, five, what is today? The ninth, the season ended a week and a day ago, basically. And everyone is kind of freaking out and kind of scrambling and trying to, figure out ways in which we can make our team better but I think it's it's going to take some time it's going to take some some realistic evaluations from fans from 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 players from the organization got to dig deep and figure out ways you can improve individually and I think we will do that and I look forward to the challenge of of getting better but I also look forward to the challenge of having some rest having gone through some injuries the past couple years with my back last year in the bubble and then with my foot this season I finally get to enter an off season in which I don't have to rehab, which will be nice to to really work on my game, add some things, to tighten up some things and um, see when the next season is going to start. I think we potentially will get back on the, the normal track of an October start uh, hopefully and that gives some teams that lost early an advantage and some teams that are going to lose late a disadvantage. So health will definitely play a factor um, heading into to next year, but I just want to, you know, shout out our coaching staff once again, Terry, Jimmy Mo, Nate Tibbetts, Pargo, Coach McCullough, all the coaches I've had, my guy DV, John Yim, Jamal, whoever may not be with us going forward. I wish everybody nothing but the best. Um, I've had great times with them and look forward to, as the saying goes, it's not a goodbye, it's a see you later. Look forward to reconnecting with all of them um, over dinner, wine, whatever the case may be. And I think they all have bright futures going forward. And I'm sure Terry If he chooses to to continue to coach, he'll have the pick of the litter on jobs that are available and potentially could be going back home to Indiana where he's in the uh, Basketball Hall of Fame. So there is a happy ending to all these types of stories. It's just a sad way to go out considering you know how long we've been together but as the saying goes make sure you're following the show on apple podcast spotify wherever you get your podcast hit us with a five star review share the show and tell a friend to tell a friend follow us on instagram and twitter and pull up pod for so much more because we have longer conversations to come discussing the rest of the playoffs discussing the joker winning mvp the shakeup within the celtics organization brad stevens moving to a front office position was it the right move who do they hire as a head coach brooklyn heading for a sweep the suns potentially getting to the conference finals and so much more so stay locked in
1: and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com/audio visit IXL.com/audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price
0: breaking down the playoff matchups i want to take a look at all the series but starting with a recap of the clippers mav series It was back and forth, one of the best series of the first round, in which you see the Mavs go up 2-0. Mavs go up 2-0, Lucas dominating. He's looking like a top-five player in the NBA, looking like arguably the best league guard in the NBA, uh, outside of Dame, of course. And they're controlling the series. Uh, I'm telling people, I think the Mavs are going to sweep them. I think a lot of people are under the impression that the Clippers are done. They're going to fold. There's no way they go into Dallas and win both games. And the Clippers fall behind by 18 points, Dallas, uh, up to this point, had basically a perfect record in which when, they, when they're leading after the first quarter, they basically win the game. And the Clippers, storm back, kick the door down, end up winning game three, winning game four, go back with the series tied 2-2. And from there, people flip the script and start to say, the Clippers are going to win this series. There's no way the Mavs can withstand this, losing two in a row on their home court, yada, 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 yada. Ty Lue looks like a prophet because he goes on record saying they made shots on the road with no pressure. We'll see if they can shoot the ball the same way at home. And I'm watching the press conference and I'm confused. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, <laughs> how are they going to shoot worse at home? Like, it doesn't make sense. And he must've just knew that his team was going to turn it up. He made some adjustments within his roster and his, his rotation. He takes Patrick Beverly out of his starting lineup. He puts Zubak on the bench. He's experimenting. He's playing small ball. He's switching ball screens. He's doing all these things. And Luca's still having his way. But Luca ended up struggling in the fourth quarter in two of those games. Fast forward to game five. The Mavs win. They go up 3-2. I'm saying all it's over. There's no way the Clippers win twice in a row. Clippers win game six. Clippers win game seven. PG and Kawhi both step up. Uh, They play one of their most efficient games together ever um, in terms of them being a duo. And in in the four games the Clippers won Kawhi Leonard goes 11 of 11 from the field he doesn't miss a three doesn't miss a free throw is efficient as ever basically looks like a machine and they take the series I think um, two things two things I, I take I took away from this series one Kawhi Leonard is who he who he thought he was very efficient very clutch can defend long arms um shoots over 60% in the first round, uh, averages over 30 points. I think there's only three or four players to ever do that, and they're all big men, um, no guards. <laughs> A guard doesn't shoot over 60% from the field. It just doesn't happen. That kind of shows you, you know, how clutch and how surgical he is with the basketball. The other thing you pick up from this series is that Luka is amazing. He's he's nearly unstoppable. He's must-see TV. He makes his teammates better. Uh, he can score at all three levels. He hits step-back threes. He runs the pick-and-roll. He isos. He puts smaller guards in the post. He can do a little bit of everything. Uh, obviously, people are going to talk about how he needs help. Chris Asporzingas is not, is not happy. Uh, he feels like more second fiddle, uh, more of an afterthought, doesn't feel like a star. You're starting to see all these rumors kind of come out. And I think it's interesting because Mark Cuban is not going to fire their head coach. He has trust and faith in him. Uh, They're going to figure out what they need to put alongside Luka, whether that's three and D, whether that's a guy who can make decisions or whether that's someone who can kind of handle the ball as well. I think that they need more shooting around him, which is what they have, but they also need someone who can create a shot off the bounce. Personally, I think it'll take some of the pressure off Luka when he's getting double team, but the shooting is at a premium and it's definitely needed and necessary. So they'll have to figure out what to do with the rest of that roster previewing the Clippers Jazz and the Suns Lakers, I want to flash back to the Suns Lakers first. LeBron with his first first round exit of his career. Looking at what happened in that series, obviously, they took a commanding lead. AD scored over 30 plus in two consecutive games. Lakers take a commanding lead and then he goes down with an injury, a soft tissue. Uh, he had some some Achilles issues and then that led to the groin injury that ended up keeping him out for the rest of the series. But I think the quick turnaround in which they had about 70, 71 days uh, between their championship and the bubble in the start of the season was ultimately the difference. Um, Not having enough time to fully recover, to fully rest, really hurt their team. I think him and LeBron only played about 20 games together this entire season, which is just tough for them. But in terms of how they regroup for next season, I think just rest. Rest is really important. Figuring out what they're going to do from a free agency standpoint on Dennis Schroeder, who they're going to have as their point guard, if they bring him back, Wesley Matthews or not, how much they want to play uh, Taylor Horton Tucker next year. Do they keep Drummond? Do they keep Gasol? Um, there's a, there's a, a lot of good pieces. It's just a matter of, is it the right piece uh, for the organization? I think time will tell for that. Looking at the Phoenix Suns, CP obviously went through some shoulder issues in the first round and averaged nine points a game, but his presence, his command of the roster, his command of the offense is, is something that can't be valued by the box score. He's always been a winner. He's always figured out ways to lead his team and take his team to that next level. And he's done that with the Suns. I think what you're seeing out of Devin Booker is what's always been a part of his game. Absolutely undeniable. In terms of his work ethic, in terms of his execution in the offense, he's become a better passer. He's got a mid-post game. He can shoot threes. He can get to the cup. Um, he's an he's a old-school player that has flashes of Kobe, but also has flashes of some other assassins like Allen Houston. And has a, has a bit of, you know, some Rip Hamilton in terms of how they move him off screens and allow him to, to play off of the elbow. Uh, I think that's that's been very, very beneficial to his game. And he hasn't become a legit superstar. He is a legit superstar. It's just a, a matter of him being able to show that uh, to the rest of the world. Uh, his closeout of the Lakers was, was in great, great fashion, over 40 points. Um, hit six threes in the first quarter and kind of showed his versatility and ability to dominate. But I think the Suns go... As CP3 goes, Book is going to do what he does. He's going to demand double teams. He's going to score. He's going to be aggressive. He's going to facilitate. But CP is the closer. He's the guy who puts them in the position to succeed. He figures out who should shoot and when they should shoot. Um, He gives them another dynamic offensive weapon who can play in the mid range, who can play one on one, but can also cause havoc. And I think if he's healthy, they get out of this series against the Denver Nuggets. But if he's not healthy, I think the Nuggets win in six because Will Barton should be returning sooner than later. I have to look at the Clippers Jazz Series. The Clippers are down 0-1. Donovan Mitchell scored 45 points in the first game. Was great down the stretch. Controlled everything. And this was without Mike Conley, their floor general. Their guy who makes things easier. For everyone, I think the Clippers should be confident based on, you know, how poorly Paul George and Kawhi played. They weren't their normal selves. Um, I think they had a little bit of a hangover coming out of game seven where fatigue may have been a factor, but they tighten up their rotation. I think they should play Nicholas Batum more. I think that um, defensively, maybe switching up the matchups as to who's guarding Donovan Mitchell will be important. Uh, he's got to see different bodies. You got to trap him sometimes. You got to hedge sometimes. Um, you got to put those other guys in a position to have to make decisions. I think that'll be a factor, but momentum is what it is. Uh, The jazz did what they were supposed to do. They took game one and now it's just a chess match about adjustments and matchups for game two. But I think this is, this has potential to go seven games. Uh, Both teams are very good. They're very deep and the role players will be huge, huge in this, in this series and in deciding who goes to the conference championship. Looking at the East, I'll start with the Nets and the Bucks because I feel like this series has potential to be a sweep or a gentleman sweep. The Nets look amazing. KD is better than he's ever been before, as efficient as he's ever been. Over 30 uh points per game, over 56% from the field, 50 from three, 90 from the line. It's it's vintage, vintage KD, but like the mature, older, efficient version of him where the game is, is is moving in the matrix. Kyrie's been him his normal self, getting out and running, pushing tempo with D'Antoni, with Steve Nash. They're moving the ball. They were up by 49 points in the second-round playoff game, game two. The Milwaukee Bucks have Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Giannis, Lopez, four guys who've been all-stars. They got rotation guys in P.J. Tucker, Pat Kinnottin, They got Brandon Forbes. They have a really good team. And the Nets are making them look like they don't belong in the playoffs, which is crazy. I think defensively, Blake Griffin has been a huge addition for the Nets. Uh, he's been able to to bother Giannis. He's strong enough and physical enough to kind of push him and withstand some of that physicality. But they're also loading up and making him shoot, which is huge. They're playing KD at the five some, which is causing matchup problems. So I think this series is over. I think the Nets end up winning this series in a gentleman's sweep. I think the Bucks will get one at home. And James Harden will probably rest up until the conference finals. But it is damn it time for those bucks. That is for sure. Looking at the preview between the Sixers and the Hawks, it's 1-1. Trey Young was brilliant in game one. He showed that he has superstar status, superstar potential in that series against the Knicks, kind of rising to the occasion, becoming the villain, doing all those things. Embiid is playing on one leg, and he gets 39 in game one, 40 in game two. Ties the series. The matchups as to who guard Trey Young will be very important. I think Ben Simmons should guard him some, but he can't extend all that energy guarding him because of the foul trouble. Trey's great at drawing fouls. He's great at playing and picking roles and manipulating not only the refs, but the defense. So look for that to be a key. Danny Green will guard him some. Tobias will guard him some. They'll put some of the younger guards on him to kind of mix it up and to give him different looks. But I think the Hawks do have enough to compete with the Sixers. They don't have enough to stop and beat. They're going to continue to double him. They're going to make Seth Curry shoot, which is not a great idea. They're going to make Tobias Harris shoot, which is not a great idea. But the chances of them missing is higher than the chances of Embiid missing because he's a walking 35 uh, with ease, with one leg, as we've seen. I think for the Hawks, Bogdanovich has to step up, which he has. John Collins has to play well. And I look for their bench to be key. Um, Herder, Lou Will. Solo, those types of guys will be very, very important to the Atlanta Hawks' success once they get back home. But those are just my thoughts on, on some of those matchups. Um, I think the playoffs has been fun. It's been great to have the fans back in the building. I wish we were still playing, obviously, Um, but that's life. Life doesn't always go as planned. Sometimes, you know, you have little bumps in the road, and it's more about how you respond, and I look forward to personally responding um, this summer and uh, putting that work in so that we can have a better outcome next season. Pull Up or Dish? Front office execs publicly recruiting other players. I am pulling up on this. I love to see it. I think the NBA hates to see it. The NBA announced both Sixers, GM, Daryl Morey, and the teams were each fined $75,000 for violating the league's anti-tampering rules. Steph Curry posted a picture of his brother, Seth, who plays with the Sixers, on Instagram with the caption, You killed it tonight after Seth dropped 30 in their Game 5 win over the Wizards. Morey then screenshot the post and put it on Twitter with the caption, Join them." which is a violation. The rule prohibits executives from talking about players on opposing teams. Murray tried to backtrack the post on Twitter saying he was talking about the fact that they were thrilled Seth plays with the Sixers and nothing else. We all know that was a lie. I love to see people publicly recruiting other players, especially executives, because you get to see the competitive side of them. I think Sixers fans truly enjoyed seeing Daryl Murray behave like a fan behave in a manner in which He's happy to see not only the success of his player, but loving the fact that the brother, who's arguably the, the best player on the planet, is seeing the success of his brother and would love for him to be in a Sixer uniform. So I think the 75000 is hilarious. Um, a slap on the wrist, if you will. The organization can pay that in their sleep. And they'll move forward. But the, the talk of a town now is whether or not Steph Curry will consider playing for the Sixers, which is funny in itself and creates... Quite the media storm. Another man who's not afraid of fines, Pat Riley, was fined $25,000 in a radio interview in which he said he would leave the new shiny key under the mat for LeBron in any event he wanted to come back. So just keep an eye out on that as we get closer to the draft, as we get closer to free agency, to see the tampering that's going to go down, not only between players, but executives uh, within organizations. Um, I am pulling up on execs publicly making a pitch to other players and want to continue to see it for sure. I don't think executives should be able to publicly say they want a guy like Steph on their team um, because it's just creating an everlasting effect going forward in which all hell could break loose. If every organization is, is openly recruiting players, it's bad enough. They do it in private. It's, definitely happening through text messages, through in-person meet and greets and things of that nature, but I think since that rule has been in place for so long, it's better to kind of keep that stuff in private because the tampering that would go on this summer would be unlike anything we've seen with Kawhi becoming a free agent, with Steph potentially being able to opt out, among many other players. Things could definitely get out of hand, so I would like to see that not happen, but I would love to see (laughs) execs continue to get fined. Looking at the Brad Stevens situation, Brad Stevens is transitioning from head coach to head of basketball ops for the Celtics. Last week, the Celtics announced that president and GM Danny Ainge would be retiring. And an interesting twist, instead of them bringing in other guys interviewing maybe Messiah or Sam Presti, they decided to go with Brad Stevens and move him after he was head coach for the previous eight seasons. I think it's an interesting move. I think that Brad Stevens is smart. To do that, more longevity, more security, less pressure, less stress. Obviously, he won't have to travel as much throughout a full season. And he knows the organization well. He, better than anyone, knows the players. Uh, He knows what what they have to offer. He knows where they're at mentally. He knows where they're at physically. And he can better kind of articulate and judge what they should do going forward as opposed to bringing in an outsider who hasn't been a part of the team and organization. So I'm also pulling up on this. I love the idea of Brad securing a long-term bag, being able to be in the front office and kind of figure out how to maneuver from there. I think that he felt like he reached his peak as a coach. He he felt like he kind of hit the ceiling as to what he could accomplish with that group, having gone to the conference finals a few years in a a row, having lost Jalen Brown and, and many others to injury this season. He felt like change was needed. I've never seen someone fully step down from coaching to move to the front office outside of maybe Pat Riley doing it. Pat Riley went from front office (laughs) back to coaching to win a chip, then back to front office, which is kind of cool and shows you a a bit of upward and downward mobility. But outside of that, I don't think I've seen it. But I think the Celtics need a change. They need a breath of fresh air. Um, They need to be able to kind of diversify, bring in new people, new minds collectively, and figure out what they need to do going forward. But they've always had talent. They've always been able to acquire talent. And uh, it's just a matter of kind of putting that together uh, properly. Get the dub, take the L. The dub of the week is definitely Tom Thibodeau in the New York Knicks. Tibbs wins the NBA coach of the year. Knicks surprise fans with a year to remember. I think this is the first time they've made the playoffs in what eight to ten years. Julius Randle emerges as an all-star. Uh, the Garden sells out in five minutes and fans are in the street dancing uh, after uh, a <laughs> After going up uh, one one, after tying the series up one one against the Atlanta Hawks, they're in the in the streets dancing. I love to see it. I think the NBA is better when the Knicks are better. It's the mecca of basketball, and I think Tibbs has done a fantastic job of taking their defense from like twenty five to top five with the same personnel. Uh, Derrick Rose looks like the best version of Derrick Rose that I've seen skill wise. Obviously, the athleticism not the same, but he's clearly a better basketball player. He's smarter. Uh, him and Trey Young had the best floater uh, the NBA has seen this season. Uh, most makes the mid-range is there. The leadership is there. The confidence is there. And I just, I love a, a feel-good story. And I think, you know, Tibbs being able to to go from Chicago to Minnesota to the Knicks and win is great for the sport. The L. I think this whole KDJ-Will situation is wild. It's well-documented, obviously, that KD uh, isn't afraid to speak his mind. He'll respond to tweets. He'll respond to Instagram. He'll take credit for things when he deserves credit. And he'll also say that's not true when it's not. And in this case, Jay Will told a story about a conversation he had with KD offline, basically saying that they were at a party and KD came up to him and told him to not ever compare me to Giannis again. Don't ever compare me to that, to that dude because he's not me, basically. Katie went to Instagram to call out Jay Will saying this is a fucking lie. He said, Jay Williams can never speak for me ever. So I don't know if this is him saying that I didn't say it or if this is him saying that, look, Jay Will's not going to speak for me, man. Y'all got any questions about what I said? Come to me. Either way, it's a very interesting situation. And I think Jay Will takes the L in this situation because we don't know if it's true or not. There's a lot of questions now that are being asked, like, is KD saying he's lying or is KD saying that like, don't speak for me uh, on these types of situations? Like I know they have a relationship or had a relationship. So this is a a very, very interesting situation. But needless to say, KD is balling. Let's just take, let's just take this out. J-Will's taking it out here, but KD is taking a W because he is destroying Giannis in these bucks. And I think it is personal, personally. I've never seen someone pay as much attention to what people say as KD, but I think he just responds. Most people see it and don't respond. I'm a responder. I respond to a lot of tweets, a lot of Instagram posts. I think Dame responds to a lot of people. Draymond responds. So I think it's the personality in which if you just have that type of personality, like that I do, like I don't really care what people think about me. If I feel something, if I think something, if I see something, I'm going to speak out of it. I think he's in that same frame of mind. But there is a point in which you probably have to ignore stuff sometimes because when you're at that status people are always going to be constantly talking about you constantly mentioning things so it is what it is but i appreciate everybody tuning in uh, to this week's pull up pod um i'd be remiss if i didn't cue the y music cue the y music please it's been quite the year, to say the least. Quite the season, been locked up in the house, uh, been afraid to go out to eat, been afraid to do much of anything uh, this past year uh, in fear of potentially contracting the virus. But I am thankful that my brother, his wife, and his 10-month baby, Eric Legend McCullum III, was able to come visit us uh, during the playoffs. They were able to come see Game 6. Obviously, we didn't win game six. I didn't play as well as, well as I would have liked, but I worked hard. I prepared the best way I know how. And now I know I got to tighten some things up for next season. But I'm thankful they were able to come out. I was able to take them wine tasting with my wife. Uh, we went to uh, Domain Serene and Stoller. They had never been before. And at Domain Serene, we cracked open a 1991 Domain Serene Evanstadt Reserve, which is incredible. 29 years old, obviously, my birth year. It was so smooth. It was like the best type of grape juice, um, only there's about 12% alcohol in it. So we we truly enjoyed that. And then we went to Stoller and had some bubbles and some 2017 Pinot Noir. But those are my wines of the week. Obviously, the 1991 is very hard to get. But if you get a chance to get out and wine taste here in Oregon, I suggest you do it because the weather has been tremendous. It's been sensational. Uh, We're getting 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s on certain days. But I would just recommend going out to to some different vineyards. And if you need help, tweet at me. I can set you up. I can put you in the right position to succeed for sure. But once again, I want to thank everybody for tuning in To the Pull Up Pod I hope you're staying safe I hope you're enjoying life and all it has to offer I hope you're finding your peace As always, be sure to follow us uh, On Spotify, Apple Podcasts Or wherever you get your shows Tell a friend to tell a friend To hit the show up on social At Pull Up Pod on Twitter and Instagram We're always posting fresh content there all season long On the in-between weeks And as the saying goes Don't forget to
1: Pull Up